if anybody wants to, who are on the sides, want to make a little adjustment, if you want to pull in, if, in case you want to see, that's fine. Make some adjustment in your seating. Good morning. Are you feeling some cheer? <laughs> Cheerfulness this morning? <laughs> Probably a whole range of feelings are in this room right now. So we're going to begin. I'm giving some reflections about... Um, we talk about integrating this practice into our daily life. But I think it's really more we're, we're integrating our daily life into the practice. Yeah. I think it's more like that. So I'll talk a little bit. And then Catherine and Yanai will offer some reflections. And then we're going to open it up to some sharing in the group as well this morning. And continue with the offerings of blessings. The blessings that are pouring down the blessings that were pouring down last night and those blessings that have been pouring down through the entire retreat. And I hope people have the open hand to be able to receive all that's been offered here, all that's been given to us, all of us. So we're talking, I've been talking about beginnings and middles and endings and it's interesting when we come to this point of the retreat because it's kind of interesting whether this is an ending or a beginning, right? It's how these endings and beginnings kind of start to meld into each other and it's not so clear what, what, where we're actually at because certainly we are ending this form of this retreat, the way that we've entered into it. However, there's something wholly new that's beginning. We planted so many seeds. There's been so many um, reflections and inspirations and insights and experiences that now as we move forward, that goes with us. It's not even that we have to do anything about it or hold on to it. It just it, It's already impacted us. It's already transformed us in some way. So, so in a way, we, when we leave, we are not the same people who, arose, who arrived. It may, there are certain parts of our personality that gets constructed in certain ways, but something is different now. Something has changed. And that ceremony from last night was really honoring that. Really honoring this new beginning, this new beginning of this decade as well, right? A new decade, whatever that means. It's sort of like, you know, can't can't make too much out of that. And so one of the things I want to remind you, particularly people who might be on their first retreat, that we are all much more sensitive than we know. The practice opens us up in ways that aren't really so apparent until we leave. 
because we've been in this same, everybody's been in this atmosphere. And so until we have something to contrast that with, it's not so apparent. But as we go out and in even getting in the car or the shuttles or, you know, starting to move at, the, at, a, at a faster pace and start to meet people, greet people who've not been on retreat, we start to feel it. <laughs> start to become aware, wow, I'm pretty open. I'm pretty sensitive. Right? You might have already noticed as we started the speaking and listening and engaging with each other. There's a quality of openness. So I really want to encourage people to pay respect to that. Oftentimes we say that the amount of days you've been on retreat, so in this case nine, I think, are about the same amount of time that you'll need to start kind of coming back fully back together again in the way that you've been, you're functioning that you are a little more familiar. And so, so you'll find yourself in situations that may be somewhat demanding or, you know, if you're going back to work or your family relationships, your commitments and all of that, and you may find that you need some time, take some time. You're not maybe able to rush back into that same level of functioning. And so it's really helpful to kind of, that's a framework that's really been helpful for me is kind of the, the nine days in retreat, nine days out of retreat, and really taking good care, really taking care of ourselves, taking time, and taking time for quiet, taking time to be alone, take, taking time to pause, taking time maybe for you know, warm baths or you know, time in nature, um, being with people who, if you can, you know, people who you, you, you know, maybe like-minded in some way or same, you know, can understand some of what you've been through. Because a lot of people who haven't had this kind of experience, they don't, they don't necessarily understand. And so, and so you know, even if our, our, somebody says to you, how was your retreat? <laughs> The best thing to say is, fine. <laughs> Not to start feeding all these, you know, kind of what like, this happened and that happened. Really, people, all they want to know is you're okay, particularly if it's a family member that you haven't joined a cult or something, you know. <laughs> it's like, are you okay? <laughs> and then if they're interested to know more about your retreat, they'll ask, well, can you tell me something about it? Let me know a little bit about what that experience was like. And then, you know, then you have an invitation. But we really do want to allow these experiences to cook a little bit more. It's kind of like keep the pot on the stove and let it simmer a little bit more before we offer it. Because there's a lot we don't even understand yet. A lot, a lot we don't even know. Or, or how could we talk about it? It's so hard to put this into words. So sometimes we can give our experience away too quickly, too soon, and it can almost feel some, we can feel some dissonance in that, like, no, that's not really, that's not really it, you know. So, so we just keep, we stay close to ourselves. We, we, we stay in that solitude for a little while. Let this metabolize, we call it, I like this word, metabolize, kind of this catalyze and taking time, really nurturing us, ourselves. 
And we, we have this sensitivity now that we've developed on this, on, this, on this retreat where the mindfulness is likely to be quite available. And so as we go back into our more familiar situations, we may be able to see patterns of our habits in ways we didn't before. And so one of the things that might happen is when we see those, we might get alarmed if I see myself getting, you know, tight or angry or irritated or impatient. It's like, oh, but I've just been on a nine-day retreat. How? I shouldn't be feeling that. But, but what's happening is you're just seeing it. The, the mindfulness is strong. The mindfulness is, the, the attention is like, wow, look at that. I think that's a pattern I've been engaged in for a long time. I just hadn't seen it. I hadn't felt it. I hadn't known it. And so in the same way that we've been practicing here, we bring our, our, our loving, caring attention to just what's here and holding ourselves with as much compassion and kindness, care as we can, paying respect to all that we find ourselves going through as we, as we come back into our, our familiar situations. And we're watching, we want to watch how the mind, how the mind moves uh, in this kind of moving towards patterns that are reinforcing more, more, more pain, more negativity, more contraction, or is the mind moving in ways that are creating, generating more expansion, more openness, more love, more kindness. Because we're, the practice is so much about this transformation of this of the mind, of the heart, of the citta. And so we want to, one way that the Buddha speaks about the practice is this inclination, inclining the mind, continue to incline the mind towards the good, inclining the mind towards happiness, towards openness. The Buddha has this wonderful quote where he's, wonderful thing that he, that is quoted, that he said, is whatever one thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. It's been such an important teaching for me. Whatever one thinks and ponders upon, in other words, wherever the mind dwells, that will become the inclination of the mind. That's how the mind will incline. So, so every moment, if this is the opportunity we have, is every moment to begin to pay attention to how the mind is inclining. Is the mind inclining towards the good, the goodness, or is the mind inclining towards the negativity? And the amazing thing is that every moment, if we're aware, we actually have a choice. Every moment when we see, when we meet these crossroads of where we find ourselves and locate ourselves, it's like, which way am I going to go? Which path am I going to choose? In other words, what am I setting in motion? Because the direction I go in is the motion I'm going to go in. We set a momentum. This is how we're working. We worked last night with intentions. We set an intention and it sets something in motion. So we want to be clear about what kinds of intentions we're setting in motion so that we're actually going in the direction that we want to go. 
And that means with our speech, what we're saying, I'm talking, I talked about this in the, in the practice we did, as I'm saying something, is that the direction I want to go with what I'm saying right now, or do I need to pause and stop and retra- retrack, kind of reformulate? because I don't know if I want to go in that direction. Or even my body, when my body starts to go in a certain direction, for example, towards the refrigerator, once again looking for that pint of ice cream, you know, that's in the freezer. It's like, do I want, you know, we can, we can catch ourselves at any moment. Oh, I'm moving towards the refrigerator now and I'm opening the door and I'm pulling that out and okay, I can eat half, you know, half of it. It's okay, it's a small pint, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I notice, oh, I'm, I'm continuing to eat. It's like the whole, the whole thing starts. But the, we're seeing that. We can, at any moment, is a choice point, Right? At any moment, when we're really paying attention and noticing what we're setting in motion, do I want to keep going in that direction? And so more and more, our choices, hopefully, as we, as we understand and have more uh, uh, experience, our experiences strengthen and our qualities of mind and heart strengthen, that our choices become more centered in the Dharma, in the service of wisdom and compassion, in the service of love, in the service of that which is going to benefit and be helpful and to be useful. And so, so we start to understand that. It starts to make sense more and more. This is a, a quote from Hafiz, this wonderful Uh, poet, Sufi poet. You might have heard this before. It's called To Build a Swing. You carry all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare. (laughs) Don't mix them. (laughs) You have all the genius to build a swing in your backyard for God. That sounds like a hell of a lot more fun. Let's start laughing drawing blueprints, gathering our talented friends. You carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them. Mix them. Mix them. That's a bit of what we were doing last night. Mixing, weaving. Let's turn these aspirations into something we want to bring in. Let's let go of those, release those. We don't need to mix them. So these intentions, the Buddha speaks about these intentions that we turn away from attachment, our attachments, and we turn towards renunciation, towards non-attachment, towards letting go. We turn away from ill will, anger that's not useful, and we turn towards metta, loving kindness. We turn away from cruelty and those acts, actions that create more harm, and we turn towards compassion, non-cruelty. These are the, expression, the expressions of wisdom. Coming here on retreat was a wholesome intention, a very positive intention to set into motion and look 
at the gifts and the benefits that have arisen that now will just keep moving in a beautiful direction. We create an energy field. In this case, a positive energy field that starts to ripple out. So beautiful. We do this in our life more and more, creating these positive, these wholesome energy fields so that, so that energy just starts pouring out in ways that are so helpful and beneficial. So one way we can begin to think about how the, we, the Dharma lands in the center of our life is through forms of practice, how we're practicing, the actual forms of that practice. Where am I, as I go through the day, where am I placing my intentions? What choices am I making for the day? And, and, And in a way, we do need to bring conscious attention to this because habits are so strong that aren't necessarily going to support our awakening of our heart and our mind. And so one of the things we suggest is to have a daily meditation practice. This really helps to set that intention in motion for mindfulness, for for paying attention. We sit. Maybe if you can, I mean, some teachers say 45 minutes a day. For some people, that's not realistic. I say, if you can get 20 minutes a day, how wonderful that would be. Just find that, carve that space out in the day where that's going to be your 20-minute meditation period. And sometimes it may not be the same time every day because of the way things are unfolding in your day, but you carve out something. And, and if you haven't been able to sit in the day, it's really a nice practice just to, before you go to bed, just to sit in the meditation posture for two minutes. <laughs> Just get in the posture. It's like getting in the posture every day, connecting with the body, with the breath, and then see what happens. Because sometimes it's just getting into the posture that's the difficult thing. But once we get in the posture, there's a memory, a body memory there that goes, yeah, this is where I want to be. So, so we encourage that kind of stopping, some kind of stopping in the day where we stop the momentum, the habitual momentum of, that pull, can pull us where we sometimes just can't stop. So, so that form of practice of sitting, but also finding times just through the day of these moments where we can be quiet. It might just be a minute in the day where I just, I'm, I'm, I'm in that momentum of my work and I'm realizing that I'm getting caught in that, in, that, in that pull and I just stop for a moment. I'm at my computer or at my desk or take that breath. Oh. And we remember just to pause, just to take that moment of silence, the stillness of the body. It starts to bring, remind us of what's important, remind us of the importance of bringing in some balance in the day. And if we can do that many times in the day, I call it poking holes in the day, kind of poking holes in that momentum, it starts to break apart. Such a wonderful practice when we begin to remember that. 
maybe we have these places we can go just even for a little while, these, these um, sacred places, these places of refuge in nature, or maybe at home there's an altar set up somewhere that helps us remember and we can just stop for a moment or, you know, we can put things on the refrigerator or, you know, we have little mindfulness bells, you know, that not, app, we have apps for that now, you know, and we do lots of things that can help us just stop that kind of remembering through the day. We have all of our heart practices that we've been, been opening to, the metta and the compassion and the, the equanimity and the forgiveness and um, uh, gratitude, gratitude practices. Every day, just remembering to be grateful for something that happened in the day. It opens the heart. It expands the heart. There's so much available now to help us learn those different practices with, in the forms, the forms of those practices we can draw on. So heart practices. Another form is the practice of dana, the practice of generosity, the practice of giving of ourselves, the spirit of giving which can come through many, many different forms, but can come, for, come through this form of service, that I'm in, in some kind of service to another person, to a being, to beings, to uh, a group of beings, or to compassionate action that Yana and I gave this beautiful talk on, how we can actually serve in the world and, and see what feels right for us in terms of that giving but not leaving ourselves out, also being generous of spirit to ourselves, giving to ourselves, nurturing ourselves in the ways that I've just been speaking, taking time to be generous for what you need and what is going to support you and what is going to help you to carry on and continue. Another form of practice in this tradition, we've been practicing it here, are the ethical considerations, the five precepts. Taking this on as a practice, taking one of those guidelines. Um, I'm going to practice working with my sexuality and how uh, the kind of energy that I am putting out around my sexuality, just the one practice. Or speech, which is huge. (laughs) There are now courses we can do on speech and nonviolent communication. There's many, many courses available for us now to watch how, the, how these uh, attachments and aversions and confusions and all of that arises through our speech. So taking that on, it's a practice of compassionate action, another expression of compassionate action, non-harming. Another form of practice is having contact with the teachings making that important in our day as well. There's so much available now. There's just at a fingertip we can, you know, have a have a thousand Dharma talks. <laughs> thousand Dharma talks available on Dharma Seed. Apparently I haven't got this yet, but Dharma Seed has an app. Now I have to look at that and see what's on there, you know, and, and we can just access dar- uh, Dharma talks. A lot of people, if they have some commuting, they put a Dharma talk on while they're commuting in their car. Yeah. Having contact with the teachings through the listening to talks, meeting with teachers, going to 
uh, going to uh, uh, functions where teachers are giving talks, books uh, that are available. When I started, there was one book available. Joseph Goldstein's Experience of Insight was the only book available. (laughs) I mean, something to think about. And that we had to order through the mail uh, tape recordings um, uh, that somebody was willing to kind of organize a catalog and then we could, they would make the tape for us and then send it to us by mail. Some of the, a lot of the good talks were also in England with Christopher Titmus and Christina Feldman who were one of the early teachers. And so we would send our request to England by mail and then they would make the recording and send the tape back by mail. <laughs> That's how we did it in the early days. And there weren't that many recordings available. So we're all, you know, there's a lot of abundance here for us now. Right. So contact with the teachings also by um, engaging in longer retreats. Now you know, you know the value of taking time for a retreat. Building this into our yearly schedule as well because there's a kind of depth that can happen here that just isn't really possible in our daily life unless we set our lives up at, you know, at times as retreats at home, if it's possible to do that. So we're we're fueling the flame, you see. We've got to keep the flame going or it will go out, and it needs fuel. And so we fuel that flame in all these ways, with keeping this in the center of our life. And the last one that I'll speak about is the Sangha. Just mentioning, they may, Catherine or Yana might want to say more about that, but the importance of having connection with a community of sorts. It's a triple gem, right? Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Sangha, community of like-minded people, people who you can actually share in this together, your, the, your experiences, you can talk together, you can share together, you understand each other. And sometimes that Sangha may just be a Sangha of two. And if, you're not, if you don't have a Sangha, I really, really want to encourage you to see if maybe there's even one person. There's a, a Sangha that started um, 20 eight years ago in Saskatchewan, uh, Canada, Regina, that by a woman who was sitting retreats with me in India, and she wanted to go back, Regina, Saskatchewan, there wasn't any Dharma, Buddha Dharma there, and she wanted a, a Sangha. So she started a sitting group there, about four or five people who had never meditated before. And, and then she started inviting me to come out and lead some retreats. It was like 25 years ago I started coming out. And we have such a rich sangha there now. It's a beautiful sangha of of a couple hundred people who attend our non-residential retreats. There's sitting groups, there's discussion groups, there's book groups, there's all kinds of things happening there now because she wanted a sangha. So, So it depends on us, really, and how, what is moving from our own heart that feels important, that feels valuable, and we set that intention and set a momentum, and then the conditions have the possibility of coming together.
a place of refuge, a place of safety for us in our practice. These days, we can even have virtual sanghas. (laughs) We didn't have those either. And maybe Catherine and Yana might mention more about that, particularly because they form, these virtual sanghas form around um, groups that have interest in particular um, actions. And that's another way of entering into a community. So, so you see, there are lots of possibilities for us. It's almost like we don't really have any excuses. One of, one of my teachers, Cynthia Bourgeau, said, um, this beautiful mystic priest, she said, um, meditation is no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. It used to be, it used to be when I began, it was a real privilege, it was really a luxury, and to some extent it's still a privilege. However, as, we, as this flame starts to grow in our heart, we feel the urgency and the necessity now of how important this is in our world. So I'll end my sharing with this poem. I love to read at the end of a retreat. It's by William Stafford, called The Way It Is. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt and die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop time's unfolding. Yet, don't ever let go of the thread. Thank you. That last sentence is kind of ringing in the middle of my body. Don't ever let go of the thread. Makes me very happy. (laughs) It's a lot of happiness coming with that last sentence. Yeah. And then we have... In the Buddha Dharma, all these very precise and wise instructions of how to never let go of the thread. Um, Just a tiny bit from me this morning. I just would like to reflect on 
the place of noble friendship in the path that the Buddha was spoke about. Um, and I'd like to let you know the criteria for noble friendship. <clears throat> Not because I give them to you so you can look at your friends and say, no, no. <laughs> Not that. <clears throat> Don't think of it like that. Often we think, oh, where can I go and get some of those people? Um, we also have to think of where can we be a noble friend? Where can we be a noble friend? As they say, if drinking is bitter, turn yourself into wine. Um, where can we be a noble friend for others? So hopefully I can see them. So noble friends. So this is, you know, f- f- both finding them, seeing them, recognizing none of us are perfect in this, but seeing where that can be cultivated. You know, this morning, well, let me read you the list. <laughs> <laughs> people who inspire you with respect people who instill you with love and may instigate the wish to emulate right so sometimes we can give a bad press to you know when we um, think someone has something right but in and, and we can compare and be jealous and feel no good and all of that but something where I see someone where there's oh there's something there that rings for me, that I can initially, when I let go of the comparison, I can just love it. And then perhaps I can even admire it. And in that, the love can start to, to, to open us. We're never going to be that one. I remember my, um, was Yvonne, weird, this beautiful teacher, she, I wanted to be like her. When I was first practicing, I really, she fitted all my image of like, that's who I want to be. And then I remember um, learning that if you have, uh, if you are a mango seed, you will be a mango. (laughs) You will not be a rose. And it's like, oh good, I don't have to be like her. In fact, I can't be like her. But, but and nonetheless, that image of her was something that drew my heart onward. It drew my heart deeply. So where there's a wish, where there's um, those who instill you with love, those who are capable of listening, right? That's one probably all of us would recognize. And those who are capable of giving advice, notice the sequence. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that? (laughs) Those who are capable of listening, those who are capable of giving advice. So if you're here and thinking, I know exactly what I need to tell my mum after this retreat, she really needs to see that da-di-da-di-da, my partner, my boss, right? Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it tonight. Give them a a break. (laughs) People who are willing to go into deep waters with you um, to things that are uneasy and to grapple with, whether that's internal and external, personal, collective, beyond. Subtle, sophisticated, not just dukkha, but th- that which might be subtle and sophisticated dharma-wise. Difficult waters, things that aren't immediately illuminated of our inner and outer world. And the Willingness is more important than their competency. You know, we don't have to all know to be noble friends. We don't have to know everything. 
We don't have to get it right. We don't have to be perfect. To be a noble friend is not to be perfect. Free us from that. Remember, Chada gave that beautiful talk. And I look towards that Kuan Yin who opened up for us last night. And do spend more time with her before you go if you wish. That crack right down the middle resonates right through the middle of me. And as in Sharda's talk, that's... It's not just Leonard Cohen that thinks it, right? There's something profound in our imperfection if we can learn to bring that to the table with our noble friends. We don't have to know. Our willingness more important than our competency sometimes. Those who um, don't let you waste your resources, your gifts. We in this room are all inheritors of incredible gifts. Multiple lineages of spirit and of soul and of intellect. And multiple lineages of this Buddha Dharma. When Shada was just saying that part about the tapes, I used to record, I was on the job of going, <laughs> you know, the, I'd get the orders in. We're kind of <laughs> Pat, you could do three at a time on this machine. And they took, it, there was a 45 minute talk, and it took about, actually, it only took about four minutes to do the, the, the fast thingy, but it was like putting them in the bag. But it's like that we're inheritors of so much. That's in like 15 years or 20 years, that, that piece. But beyond that, we are inheritors of so much. Let's not pretend we're poor. There's so much richness in each of us. Um, let that be what's turned to wine. So consider to whom you can be a noble friend, not a perfect friend. And what I was going to say was the three of us sat this morning debriefing a little bit our retreat and our first time of working together and really trust and really sensing that what um, opens my heart the most was our three willingness to hear from each other and to engage of where we are together relationally with our teachings, with our work, with all of us and being able to do that conversation and take it forward. That, for me, leads onward. We're not the same, but in that meeting, that willingness, because there's something more we love than our individual ideas of knowing or not knowing. There's something more that is our shared lover, we could say, that we all love the Dhamma. I'm going to stop there. If there's time, I'll read the poem at the end. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> yes? Okay. This is um, a, a blessing from John O'Donohue. Um, so some of you may know him but he was, he's dead now, an Irish I think he was a priest initially and then he disrobed and brought great blessing in his teachings and I bring this as of the same sensibility as my roots and peoples also for us for all of us On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the grey window, 
and the the ghost of loss gets into you. May a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays, and the curragh of thought, there's a little boat, and the curragh of thought, and a stain of ocean darkens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of the light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. And may the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love inside you and around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. Never let go of the thread and always know how to perceive the cloak. There's almost always so much I would wish to say sitting in this place of coming to an end of a retreat. You may well have said it before here, but the shortest version of what I can say at this time is it's good what you've been doing. Keep doing it. And perhaps everything else we might say is the details on that. I was moved to tears listening to the images both Sharda and Catherine bringing together there. And for me, the sense of the thread that we hold and the cloak that can be woven and the, perhaps you hear or feel it too, the sense of how we weave together our threads into that cloak. And this is our weaving as we hold and as we are held together. And that the journey of our lives, I think, is a well, one way to see and to understand is how do we do that? How do we hold our thread? And how do we also allow ourselves to be woven into equally as weave the cloth that can hold, the cloak that can wrap around ourselves, each other, and our world. And in this process, this journey is, is blessed. 
is beautiful, is challenging and difficult in equal measure, as it is sweet and simple. couple of things I just want to say particularly. One is I have received so much from others who have gone before. From the Buddha through the teachers of the ages the beings who have illuminated the path that when I stumbled as I did effectively and only by random accident stumble across it saw something that shone, that glimmered, that spoke to me and I recognized and that has brightened and clarified into a clear light that guides my life. (coughs) And that in that process we, all of us, become part of that for each other and our world. In our practice and the light that we hold and the spark and the flame of our hearts, we also become the beacon for each other. We become the light that supports what is possible for us. And and it's so important to see that in ourselves, not just to see it in those who have inspired and touched and moved us, which is so important, and to seek those people out, have contact with them as has been encouraged, but also to see in ourselves that we also, too, are in the process of becoming these people for whoever comes after us. And to really honour and acknowledge in ourselves and with others what we value and appreciate and to understand that the nature of light is that it also involves shadow and that light and shadow do not negate each other and that sometimes where the light is bright, it's that much harder to really see the shadow. And my experience has been also with teachers, blessed teachers, that sometimes the gifts they gave, for which I'm eternally grateful, have also included an offering of a learning of something that I realize, oh no, that is not something I wish to follow. And I can take that also as a gift. We have to listen, we have to learn, we have to see, because teachers come in many forms and inevitably are not the ideals that we might wish to imagine or hope for in Kuan Yin, the Buddha, and others. Many good qualities, but human beings also. Equally as we ourselves, we ourselves all are. And to hold that truth, that which is beautiful and blessed, does not mean there may not also be that which is yet unseeing or unseen. And that there is that which is still unseeing, and yet unseen, as in we don't even know it's, haven't seen it within ourselves or in another, does not also mean there isn't blessed light. And yet to know that both are part of the journey, to understand what it is to bring the light to where there is not light, to bring the willingness to see and to hear and to listen, to learn for ourselves, and to offer and share where we see and have concern in order to bring light also for supporting others. And for me, this is so much of what's precious and powerful in community and connection. And the, the journey of moving on in our lives, not just with our spiritual practice, but with, our, with that, okay, not just with maybe what are our classic or traditional views of spiritual practice, 
but understanding that our spiritual practice involves seeing through the constructed divisions and separations we create within ourselves, amongst each other, between ourselves and other communities or parts of the world, that these must be seen and ultimately released for the deeper healing, transformation and awakening that we all yearn for, individually and collectively. And that, that, that our spiritual practice involves working with the inner heart and mind and body process, and equally with the larger heart and mind and body of our world, of which we are part, and which as we bring our light, as we walk our path, as we hold our thread and weave our cloth, we also are part of something much, much larger. And there are as many ways to do this, to engage, to act in the world, in the service of the things we care about, as there are ourselves, as there are individuals. There are many ways it can appear. It does not have to look the way another person's looked. And having been moved to speak of some of my journey in a particular area of concern that feels important to me and how I've chosen to do that, it's not about saying this must be your concern or this must be your way of action. I hope that's clear. It's more like see what you are moved to engage with, what you care about deeply, and how can you respond to this. This is our practice in the world equally as in our hearts. And holding these both together in the journey of learning of how to do that. Because we don't know until we begin. But we can and do learn as we go along. This is, this is a sacred and blessed expression of what a life, a human life can be. And... Uh, I'm deeply grateful for all that I've learned from those who've gone before me in this work of inner and outer transformation and those who work in the outer world more directly, equally as those who've worked in the inner. And I'm also very blessed by the sense of how this not just those who came before, but equally those who, in a way, come after. That sense of, we are that, and what we give into this world is what allows that to continue. So I think I've ended up speaking for longer than I meant to. That won't be the first time. (laughs) It's unlikely to be the last time. (laughs) We are neither mango nor rose sometime. And we have time. We're not short of that in this moment. Um, And I see poised companions here. So um, what we talked about, I believe, is that we would have a pause at this time. And I was just going to organize that. If you're finished. Yeah. Yeah, when I'm finished. Sometimes the word pause is better than finished. I can pause here.
So there will be some space for you to share, if you wish, and we'll say how that will work. There will also be some opportunity if there's some communication. There's one or two pieces we know that we would like and would like to come into the field to inform some of responses that may be possible in some of the areas of concern we've touched on. And so this will come. At this time, we're going to have a little space. You might need to um, visit the bathroom or just stretch your body a little bit. The way we're going to do that is, because we don't have so long, is I'm going to invite you to go and do what you need to do. There are two rules. One, just do what you need to do and then come back. There's not going to be a, it's a 10-minute break or a 20-minute break. Just do what you need to do and come back. When you go out of the hall, keep silence. When you're in here, you can talk with your companions if you wish. But I know that if you go out the door and start talking, you will not come back. (laughs) It's just how we are. We might have great intentions or aspirations, but that one is pretty well established. And then when we come back in, we'll reform more into the circular shape that we had, if you can find your way back into that. And if you notice someone has started talking out there with someone else, if you just invite them to head back in here, where talking is welcome. Is there anything else we need to name at this point? Good. So please do what you need to do and come back as soon as you've done what you need to do. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.